Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 17 is where we're going to be covering tonight. Let me read it to you again. Matthew 1, verses 2 through 17. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jechah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, as we saw in our last study, Jesus' family tree is very messy. Now, we're going to see more of that tonight, much more of that tonight. We also noted that Matthew listed five women in his genealogy, which is very rare. And last study, we covered four of them. We're going to look at the fifth one at the end of our study tonight, or near the end of our study tonight, and that's Mary. Now, anyone has any, done any study in this section of Scripture would agree that there are some hard issues and questions that this genealogy brings up. But with careful study, some of them can be answered. As you're going to see, some can't. But we're going to start taking some time to dig into this genealogy because as someone brought up last time we were together, there came up a question at the end of our study last time that I told them we we're going to deal with when we came back. And that's one of the things we're going to deal with tonight. The first issue we need to deal with is why does Matthew say that there are 14 generations between Abraham and David and 14 between David and Babylon and 14 between Babylon and Jesus when a simple counting of the names reveals 14, 13, and 14. If you were to take the time and count, you would see that it's 14, 13, and 14. Well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let's count. I mean, just show you here. Go to Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 2. You got Abraham, 1, Isaac, 2, Jacob, 3, Judah, 4, Perez, 5, Hezron, 6, Ram, 7, Aminadab, 8, Nashon, 9, Salmon, 10, Boaz, 11, Obed, 12, Jesse, 13, and David, 14. All right, now let's count. We got Solomon, 1, Rehoboam, 2, Abijah, 3, Asaph, 4, Jehoshaphat, 5, Joram, 6, Uzziah, 7, Jotham, 8, Ahaz, 9, Hezekiah, 10, 
Manasseh 11, Amos 12, and Josiah 13. Then you go and you count from Jeconiah to Jesus and you'll get 14. So a simple counting gets 14, 13, and 14. Any idea why? Go ahead. Well, and his brothers is listed, but nope, that's not why. Actually, the answer is in verse 17. Matthew tells us why in verse 17. Look closely how he words it here. He said, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Did anybody catch it? Counted David twice. If you do it the way Matthew tells you to do it, from Abraham to David is 14, from David to the deportation to Babylon is 14, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ is 14. So actually, that one's answerable. It's 14, 14, and 14 if you count David twice, which Matthew did. All right? See? Isn't this fun? We got an answer. Oh, but wait. Now, there actually is another issue that arises, though, when you study this genealogy in depth. Actually, if you do the research, Scripture is going to tell us that there were more than 14 generations between each of these. There's listed 14, 14, and 14. But if you actually look closely at this genealogy and do some actual checking of it, which we're going to do, you're going to find out there's more than 14 generations let me give you an example. Go to verse 5. Look closely at verse 5. Something was said here that most of us all missed last time we were together, and you just skip right over it real fast, and you don't even realize it. But once you look at it again, you'll realize, wait a minute, that can't be. In verse 5, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz by who? So that reads that Rahab was Boaz's mama. Was it even possible for Boaz to have as his mama Rahab? Who was Rahab again? Remember our study of Rahab? She was the prostitute at the time of the nation of Israel going into the promised land for the first time at the time of Joshua. Boaz doesn't come along until 400 years later. There's almost 400 years of generations that are missing here in this genealogy. Boaz's mama wasn't Rahab. But it lists that Boaz came from Rahab. Now, that, let me help you. Uh, the purpose of a genealogy, all right, is to show lineage, not to give an exhaustive account of every birth. If you actually went back and studied all the genealogies in the Bible, you'll find that very rarely does any of them list exactly every single generation, every single person born. Actually, you're going to see in many of the genealogies, there's some skippage. The purpose of the genealogy is to show lineage and progression of who gave birth to who, to who, to who. If you try to make it say every single person, do you realize how long that genealogy would list? Actually, do y'all maybe don't know this, between Abraham and David, there's 900, roughly 911 years. You can't make that into 14 generations. 911 years, but actually... As we're going to see, Matthew says there's 14 generations from Abraham to David. We'll come back to that question in a little bit. By the way, since, as you're about to see, not just in this section here in verse 5, where there are a bunch of people not listed between Rahab and Boaz, I'm going to show you some others here in this genealogy in just a second. But since the genealogy does skip some people, actually skipped quite a few there between Rahab and, and Boaz, 
it adds to the impressiveness about the fact that Matthew would list five women. Think about that. If genealogies rarely, if ever, listed the women, and now we're seeing that he's actually skipping a lot of names, and you're going to see some more that have been skipped, you should be even more impressed with the fact that if you're going to skip name, why wouldn't he skip the women's names if women aren't listed? But he actually lists five women in this genealogy. We're going to get to a lot of this later on in our study, not tonight, but through Matthew. To Remember, Matthew's purpose is to write to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the promised one. He's the one that fulfills the prophecies. There's so many cool things that God wants to use Matthew to show the Jews, and we'll get to them in time. But let me show you another discrepancy. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says that Joram was the father of Uzziah. And by the way, you're going to find tonight that Uzziah's other name is Azariah. But it says in verse 8, uh, that Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and then Uzziah was the father of Jotham. All right, so let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 3. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 12. It says, the son of Solomon was Rehoboam, Abijah was his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat, that's what we just saw in Matthew, his son, Joram his son, Ahaziah his son, Joash his son, Amaziah his son, Azariah or Uzziah his son, and then Jotham his son. Who, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, has been skipped in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? I'm sorry? Joash has been skipped. Who else? Nope, Joram's not skipped because Joram's after, and he's in Matthew 1. Amaziah's been skipped, and one other. Ahaziah. Look closely. We see back in Matthew chapter 1 that you got Jehoshaphat's the father of Joram, and then they have Joram being the father of Uzziah, which is Azariah. But if we go back to 1 Chronicles 3, Jehoshaphat is the father of Joram. And Joram gave birth to Ahaziah, and then Joash, and then Amaziah. And then that one gave birth to Uzziah, or Azariah. So here in Genesis, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 1, verse 8, there's three names that are skipped. Again, what's the purpose of the genealogy? To show lineage, to show the progression, to show that this person came from this person and they traced the family tree. But it's not to give an exhaustive account of every single name, because if you did, we'd be here for a while. You'd really hate this section of the scripture more than you already do. Because most of you, when you go and you read it for yourself, you get into the he begats in your King James, begat, 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 and you go, and you just move on. But there's actually, there's some pretty cool stuff here. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says that Josiah was the father of who? Jeconiah. Again, you remember when I was with you to, last time we talked about the importance of building our theology from the whole of Scripture? Where someone can take a verse and convince you of something that's not biblically true if you don't... If you compare it to the rest of the scripture, remember how last time we were together, we looked at, did Jesus baptize anyone? And I showed you three places in John chapter three and chapter four, where it says Jesus baptized. But then I showed you one verse in John chapter four, verse one, where it says Jesus didn't baptize anybody. It was his disciples. And that clarified it all. 
again, if you were to just read this one verse, you would be convinced that Josiah was the father of Jeconiah. But that's not the case. Go back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 3. By the way, we're going somewhere with this, so don't get lost yet. 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. It says, Amon, or Amos, who was his son, and Josiah, his son, the sons of Josiah were Johanan, the firstborn, the second was Jehoiakim, the third Zedekiah, the fourth Shalom, and now the descendants of Jehoiakim was Jeconiah, his son, and then Zedekiah, his son. So did Josiah give direct birth to Jeconiah? Who did Josiah give birth to that gave birth to Jeconiah? Jehoiakim. But in Matthew's account, it says Joram was the father of Uzziah. But he was. He was actually the grandfather of Jeconiah. And it's interesting, and we're going to take some time right now to take a look at this guy, Jeconiah, because if you're going to skip somebody, you would want to skip Jeconiah. If you were writing the lineage of your family, the Jews, your people, the Jews, and you wanted to make everybody pretty impressed with your family, and if you're going to skip some because of time and space, we're going to leave some names off of this tree, you would have skipped Jeconiah. And I'll show you why. First, you got to keep in mind, this will help you. Jeconiah in the scriptures has three different names. One is Jeconiah. Another one is Jehoiachin. Remember, his father's name is Jehoiakim, and Jehoiachin is the, another name that Jeconiah is called. And you're going to see in a little bit, Jeremiah calls him just plain old Coniah. All right? You're going to find that Jeremiah is not too impressed with Jeconiah. He just calls him by a nickname, Coniah. All right? But so does God in a little bit. So go to 2 Kings chapter 24. Let's see some more about this Jeconiah, this Jehoiachin. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 5 through 7. It says, Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim, this is the one that wasn't listed in Matthew's genealogy, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, that's Jeconiah, his son reigned in his place, and the king of Egypt did not come out again, out of, did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt. From the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. And Jehoiachin, this is Jeconiah, was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. And then as you go on, you'll see that uh, Jeconiah is the one who's king when Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in one of the waves, takes him off to uh, Babylon. Now, if you remember, who was taken during this raid? Oh, good. You guys saved me a lot of bellyache because we spent 18 months in the book of Ezekiel. And I was hoping you remembered it was Ezekiel. It was Ezekiel and 10,000 other Jews. And his, remember, Ezekiel's wife were taken off to, into captivity during the raid. Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, was the king at that time. By the way, how long did he reign as king? Just three months. Why in the world would Matthew list Jeconiah? Jehoiachin. Kim was his daddy, and he skipped over Jehoiakim and mentions Jeconiah. We'll go to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Let's see a little bit more about this guy, Jeconiah. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 5 through 8. 
It says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, of king, ba- king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. If you remember from our study, he never made it to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all the abominations that he did and what was found against him, behold, they're written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Now Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And in the spring of the, the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the precious vessels to the house of the Lord. Of the house of the Lord, I mean, and he made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Now, again, how long was Jehoiakim, his dad, king? Eleven years. How long was Jeconiah or Jehoiachin king? Just three months. He was 18 years old when he began to reign. He only reigned three months and ten days. So why in the world would you even list him? Oh, let me show you one other passage that makes it even more crazy that Matthew would list him. Go to Jeremiah chapter 22. In Jeremiah chapter 22, look at verses 24 through 30. Jeremiah chapter 22, starting in verse 4, God speaking through Jeremiah, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah... This is the nickname for Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you, of whom you're afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they, there they shall not return." Is this man, Coniah, a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they don't know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man, this is Jeconiah, down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. There's a curse on Jeconiah. Oh, by the way, who pronounced the curse on Jeconiah? God did. Thus says the Lord, verse 30. And just count this guy as childless. He might have kids. But just imagine him as childless because none of his kids are ever going to sit on the throne. None of his descendants will ever sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Yet, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, he's listed in the lineage of Jesus. And Jesus is one of his descendants. But I thought God pronounced the curse on all the descendants of Jeconiah that none of his descendants could ever sit on the throne of David. Yet Jesus is listed as being one of the descendants of Jeconiah, and we hopefully all know that the Bible says he's going to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign on this earth. So how do we deal with this, folks? Jeconiah is cursed, and all the guys that are in line behind him, by the way, did any of them get to sit on the throne of David? Mm Mm-mm. None of them did. 
But Jeconiah is in the genealogy. And Jesus comes through Jeconiah. What do we do? Joseph. Huh? It's Joseph's lineage. And is Joseph Jesus' Jesus's daddy? Oh, it's going to get good real quick. Look closely again at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. All the way through, we see so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Did you catch it? It doesn't say that Jesus came from Joseph. It said that Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. There's a distinction here that is clearly brought out when all the way through it says so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so. Joseph just happened to be the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Actually, go with me to Luke chapter 3. Go to Luke chapter 3. Look at verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, I love it, as was supposed of Joseph. Do you see it? The son of Heli, the son of Methat. All right, now, I'm going to keep reading to you now here in, in chapter 3, verses 23 through 31, and I'm going to read to you the lineage that Luke has. He start, remember, Matthew started from Abraham and went to Jesus. Luke's going to start from Jesus and go all the way back to Adam. We're not going to go that far. We're just going to stop at Abraham but I want to ask you to pay close attention. I hope you were paying attention when I read those names to you last week and this week. I want to tell me how, you to tell me roughly how many names that you recognize that are in the genealogy of Luke compared to the genealogy of Matthew. Just give me a rough idea if you can. All right, so he's the son of Mathat, son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Eslai, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of jo Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Menah, the son of Mathatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. There weren't any really, were there? If you remember the genealogy in Matthew, the names were all different. Yeah, but that's not the same Joshua that we saw in the other genealogy. That's just a recognizable name. How come this genealogy is totally different? Any idea? Mary's. Actually, if you trace it all the way back to David, it goes from David through one of his sons named Nathan. Remember on the, the, the kingly side of David, it came through Solomon, through Rehoboam, and so on down. Joseph was in the lineage of the king's from David. David had other kids, and if you follow their descendants down, it traces from David to Nathan and so on down to Mary. Luke's genealogy, and I'll get right to you, Luke's genealogy actually traces to Mary, and Matthew's genealogy traces to Joseph. We're going to get somewhere in a second. Go ahead, James. What about uh, Zerubbabel and Shealtiel? Shealtiel? And, and 
they do appear in both. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't been able to figure out why. I think they're the same ones, but I don't know. The interesting thing about Zerubbabel is this. That's the last person in the genealogy we have listed anywhere in the Old Testament. If you follow all the Old Testament genealogies, they all stop at Zerubbabel. So any of the genealogies from Zerubbabel on down, we only have from the New Testament genealogies. So it's a very interesting thing. I think they're the same ones, but I'm not sure. But I'm not sure. But even so, it doesn't directly trace through them to their one sons. They go through others, if you understand what I'm saying. So I want you to hear this, and I, don't, I want you to keep up with me here. Jesus fulfills the prophecy on both sides and actually fulfills it even in a more awesome way because not only was his father, whom it wasn't his father, Joseph, in the line of David, in the line of the kings of David, he also had genealogy from David through his mother's side, and he was able to fulfill the prophecy of being a son of David in that way. But he also avoids the curse of Jeconiah because he wasn't Joseph's boy at all. Joseph had nothing to do with his DNA and therefore can sit on the throne of David because he avoids the curse of Jeconiah. By the way, do you think God picked Mary and Joseph by accident? We for years have thought that God thought, let me just look for a couple of good kids. Oh, she's good, and he's a good guy. They'll be good, usable people for me. Oh, no. He picked Mary for a reason, because of her genealogy. And he picked Joseph for a reason, because of his genealogy. And even though Joseph had been cursed, and even if the kings of, of, Israel, of Israel had not been taken into captivity and they kept having kings... Joseph would have never been able to sit on the throne of David because of the curse of Jeconiah. Yes, sir? I was just going to say, is this also tied together with the sin king through Adam? He was the seed, but you do not find any place that God said that she sinned. Jesus was the seed, but Adam sinned. Well, and that leads into where we're going to go next, because we got into a good discussion last night, and we may want to get into that discussion tonight, because it'll serve our purposes. Did Mary give some of her DNA to Jesus? Or did God just put Jesus inside Mary and she was a surrogate mother? Well, be careful before you answer. What? <laughs> You're saying mitochondrial DNA. Oh, see, we're trying to get awful smart here. I could show you scripture that would convince you that Mary, that Mary had nothing to do with his DNA at all in the fact that the scripture says that he was the second Adam. By the way, who was Adam's mama? She didn't, he didn't have a mama. So is God able to make a baby without an egg or a sperm? Sure he can. So he could be the second Adam in the fact that God just put him inside of Mary and she just carried him as a surrogate mother. But there also talks about in Genesis chapter 3, there's going to be a seed of the woman that's going to defeat Satan. And so some people think, and then there had to be, maybe God used her egg and or ovum. And, and let me help you out. We don't know. He could have done it however he wanted. And actually, if you go back and look at some of these words, it just, the words translated born to could be just simply translated came from. Oh, by the way, if you want to go research this, you go Google 
did Mary have anything to do with Jesus' birth and DNA? And you're going to find arguments on both sides and everybody's fully convinced they're right. The right answer is, and you're going to see tonight, this is an awesome answer, we don't know. But we do know this much. We know Joseph had nothing to do with it. And since Joseph had nothing to do with it, Jesus can still sit on the throne because he broke the curse. He's escaped the curse because he is not a descendant of Jeconiah. He's a descendant of David from Mama's side. Oh, if there weren't a curse and the kingship had continued on down, his father, whom adopted him, if you will, could have given him the right to sit on the throne. But because of the curse, none of his descendants were ever going to sit on the throne. But Jesus is going to. So let's talk a little bit about Mary. I'm just going to deal with a couple of things tonight, and then we'll come back to our big question for the evening about the 14, 14, and 14. I'm not going to go into this in too much detail because we're going to cover Mary a lot as we look through the story of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But, and I always wanted to say this ahead of time, I need to say these things for the people that are here, for the people that are listening on the recordings. I'm not trying to offend, that's not my intention, but I have to be faithful to the scriptures and I'm going to share some things with some of you that you may find offensive because you don't like the sound of it because it goes against some of your teaching. But Mary, as awesome as Mary is, chosen by God obviously for a reason, Mary was never sinless and is not sinless. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 46. This is after Mary finds from, out from the angel. We're going to go back to that passage in a second. After she finds out from the angel that she's going to have this child from God within her. And Mary, through the Spirit of God, begins to praise God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My Savior. If Mary's sinless, does she need a Savior? Well, we've been taught that Mary was sinless. By the way, some of you may not know this, but you've ever heard of the term the Immaculate Conception? We've always thought that that was talking about Jesus' birth, but the Roman Catholic Church teaches that that was Mary's birth. That Mary, the Immaculate Conception, actually is talking about Mary's birth and that Mary was born without sin. Therefore, when she gave birth to Jesus, she wouldn't pass any sin on to him. So Mary had to be born without sin. We've always heard the Immaculate Conception. We think of Jesus. No. And by the way, let me clarify. The term Catholic simply means universal. You're all Catholic if you're in the universal body of Christ. But Roman Catholic is a different thing. And the Roman Catholics teach that Mary was without sin. And therefore, she could give birth to Jesus and not pass sin on to him. Again, there's a lot of their theology that comes from human reasoning and no scripture. But I see here that the scripture Mary herself said she needs a savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then it says Mary remained with her relative Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. 
when the Spirit of God took over and she just started prophesying and praising God, she said, I need a Savior. By the way, go back with me to chapter 1 and look at verse, uh, we'll start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord's with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and forever, and his kingdom there will of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what do we know, though, about Mary's encounter with the shepherds and the magi? What does the scripture tell us? What was her reaction to these things? She pondered them. She was curious. She was curious how this whole birth thing was going to happen. And the answer was, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of God's going to overshadow you and you're going to have a baby. Did she walk out going, oh, okay, I understand now. No, because 2,000 years later, we're still arguing over how it happened because we don't know. And she didn't know. All she knew was she hadn't had sex with anybody and now she's pregnant. Oh, and then these shepherds show up when she gave birth in a tower on the outskirts of Bethlehem in a shepherd's field. And the shepherds show up and start praising God because of the angels that came and told them about this birth. And then these wise men show up a few days later. And she's curious. And I'm going to show you something about Mary that we'll get into in a lot more detail later on. But I just want you to see it because some of you might not have ever seen it because you've been told that Mary is the Virgin Mary. Actually, my wife and I, praise God, by God's grace, we're both virgins when we got married. But she's since had three kids. We don't call her the Virgin Becky anymore. Okay? The Bible says that Joseph and Mary had no sexual relationship until after Jesus was born to show that it was not Joseph's baby. But Mary and Joseph then had other children. The Roman Catholics teach that they, she had none. She's still the Virgin Mary. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Go to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, we'll start in verse 31. And Jesus' mother and his, what? Brothers came, and we'll get to it later on. I'll show you in our study of Matthew. Actually, it names the brothers and then says he has sisters as well, but he even names the brothers. Oh, and by the way, does anybody know who wrote the book of James? Jesus' brother through Joseph and Mary. It's a, it's a stepbrother or a half-brother, if you will. But Mary had other children. And Mary and his mother Mary and his brothers came standing outside. They sent to him and they called to him and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? 
And looking about, the, at, about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. That sounds kind of rude, though, doesn't it? I mean, the Virgin Mary's out there, and uh, she's wanting to talk to you. She's there with your brothers. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at it, he says, whoever does the will of my father, those are my mother and my brothers. Now, there's a part of this story that a lot of us don't know. It's actually back in verse uh, uh, 20 and 21. In Mark chapter 3, look at verses 20 and 21. Then he, Jesus, went home. This is after he determined who the 12 apostles were going to be. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that he couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Why were Mary and the brothers going to get Jesus and to talk to Jesus in the house? To claim the crazy relative. Mary doesn't look so impressive all of a sudden, does she? Mary now thinks he's lost it. Actually, folks, if you look at the scriptures, she's wrestling with these issues all the way through. She has an understanding, but she doesn't have a full understanding. Remember when Joseph and Mary lost him when he was young in the, in the temple area? And they thought he was with her and he thought she was with him, he was with him. And they realized that day's their day's journey. Uh-oh, where's the kid? And they go back. And he says, didn't you know that I had to be at my father's house and about my father's business? They didn't understand. Oh, there comes a time where Mary comes to a deeper understanding. And she's one of the many who believe and she's in the upper room at the last, in the last supper time and all that. And, and, and some of his brothers go from making fun of him to believing because actually John chapter 7 tells us that some of his brothers made fun of him because they didn't believe that he was who he was. In John chapter 7, they say, hey, you're going to make yourself a public figure. Go show yourself at the feast. And the scripture says it's because they didn't believe. So there was a time period where Mary and his brothers thought he was out of his mind. Folks, as we go into this study, I want you to understand 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this. There is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Some of us have been taught that Mary is a mediator between us and God, and we can pray to Mary. You need to have this scriptural foundation to be able to go where we need to go in the coming weeks. Mary's to be honored. She's to be considered blessed. She was given a hard task and she was faithful to it but she didn't fully understand throughout the whole process and she learned as she went along she wasn't sinless she made mistakes but she's just like you and me chosen instrument for God's purposes and for his glory all right so in the time we have left let's go back to our question why does Matthew say that there are 14 generations between Abraham and David and 14 generations between David and Babylon, and 14 generations between Babylon and Jesus. As I already told you, there were roughly 911 years between Abraham and David. There were roughly 497 years between David and Babylon, and roughly 584 years between Babylon and Jesus. And we've already seen that many names and generations were left out. So what's the answer? Why does God say through Matthew that there's three sets of 14 generations when it's obviously much more? 
I'm sorry? It was because he was talking to the Jews and they knew the lineage. Uh, that doesn't solve the question of why it says 14, 14, and 14, when it's obviously more than 14. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> God loves to confound the wise. All right, here's the honest answer, folks. And I'm telling you, I have dug and researched and prayed, and here's the answer. We don't know. Anyone who gives any other answer is most likely guessing. Oh, I've heard lots of options. Some say that, well, back in the time from Abraham to David, there was generations that lived longer, so it can be a longer time period because generations were longer. It still doesn't make the math work. There are others who say, well, the number 14, 14, and 14 adds up to 42, and 42 divided into six sets of seven makes Jesus the seventh seven. And, but no, Jesus is counted at the end of the sixth seven. Still, it's all pretty, but it doesn't make the math work. Chris? With 900 years, it's only 70 odd years per generation. It's not inconceivable. At that way, but at the same time, you got 487 or 500 and something. Right, but here, but but what we have listed in Matthew, you're right. You could you could make the math work. This generation was 70 years long. This generation was 35, and so on. But the problem is, from what we have listed, he's already listed the 14, 14, and 14, and skipped people. Yes, ma'am. Because it, could it be because it's Joseph's genealogy and what? And it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus' sinning. Okay, so you're saying, so her thing is it's because it's Joseph's genealogy and it doesn't have anything to have do with Jesus sitting on the throne, but why then say there's 14, 14, and 14? Go ahead, Duke. Agreed, but they're not listed all here, though, either. So, again, do you see what's... I'm doing this on purpose. Do you see what's going on here? We want to figure it out. We want so bad to have it make sense. Let me tell you, saying you don't know is okay. It puts you in very good company. Let me show you the company it puts you in. Go with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel's been given all these visions about the Antichrist in the last days and beasts and goats. And Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people. Daniel's being told this by this angel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on the, this bank and one on, uh, of the stream, and one on the bank of that stream. And, and uh, someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Daniel himself was given this vision. He's like, I don't even understand what I just wrote. And he's told, you're not supposed to. It's for the very end. It's for the very end. So don't worry about it. Now, some of us would say, well, Book of Revelation says that the worlds are unsealed now, so we can understand everything. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. This is New Testament believers. They don't know either. It's okay to say you don't know. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, stick with me here because I, I sure hope we can set some of you free tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Jesus himself said, when, he, when you're going to see this in Matthew, when we go there, he's going to say to him, he says, look, prophets and righteous men and women in the past long to see what you see, but they weren't able to. It wasn't for them. Does anybody know why the Old Testament saints don't get their resurrected bodies till the end of the tribulation period? And why, uh, you know, we get ours before? We don't know. I know you all believe that there's only one God and he has always manifested himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's been eternally one God, but eternally three persons. But can any of us explain how that works? We don't. And it's okay to say we don't know. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, the things revealed to us and to our children. And what I want you to hear is this. Because we're living in the days that Daniel talked about, and we just saw in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, in which knowledge is going to increase and men are going to be able to go to and fro throughout the earth. Because we're living in a day in which we can actually not only send rockets to the moon, we can have them come back and land back on the ground at the simultaneous. Wasn't that amazing to watch when those things came back? I remember sitting there going, 
I can't believe I'm watching this. We're living in a day in which knowledge has increased exponentially and it keeps increasing exponentially. Because of that, we think we can figure things out. And God says, I want a people that are okay with me not telling them everything. Folks, how come I was healed of cancer and not everybody is? Oh, don't come up with an answer. You'd be lying. Oh, because God wants to use you, Jim. He, has, he doesn't want to use other people. Have you ever thought about the fact that Peter was released from the exact same prison miraculously with the doors flying open and the chains falling off. And he was like so shocked. He just, he had to be slapped by the angel to realize it wasn't a dream. And he got up and walked out. But that was the exact same prison that just a few days before James had been put to death in. Can you imagine being James's brother, John? Remember James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, the best buds. Can you imagine after having watched your brother be put to death in that prison, and then to know that God released Peter from the same prison miraculously, every time you guys all got together and you saw Peter, it was a reminder that God released Peter, but not your brother. John the Baptist, as you're going to see when we get to Matthew chapter 11, he's sitting in prison, and he sends word to Jesus saying, are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? Wait a minute, this is the same John the Baptist that said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. I didn't even know who he was except the one who sent me to baptize told me, the one you see the Spirit come down on. That's him, baptize him. If anybody knew who Jesus was, it was John. Yet John now is realizing that this Jesus isn't doing things the way he thought he would. Because if you remember John's preaching, in the Spirit was a message of repent because God's coming, and he's about to clean house. If you look at John's preaching, this is what he said. His axe is laid at the root of the trees. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Dude, when this guy shows up, he's going to judge. Then he shows up, and he's nice. He's forgiving people. He's eating with sinners. And John's going, I don't get it. You're not looking like I thought you were going to look. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. I got no problem with God putting things in the Bible that I don't understand. Now, I'm going to keep digging. If I find an answer, I'll tell you, but I'm okay if I don't. Remember, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to keep searching things out. He wants us to keep digging. He wants us to keep asking. But sometimes he's going to say, I'm not going to tell you. Paul prayed three times that that thorn in his side would be removed. And God said, nope. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, we live in a day in which we think the word of God needs our help. Are we okay with it? And okay with a God that's so big that if we don't understand, we'll still serve him? If he heals somebody but doesn't heal you, are you okay with it? If he doesn't answer your prayers the way you want him to all the time, if he doesn't dance for you when you want him to dance for you, if he doesn't give you an answer when you want an answer, are you going to fall away like the seed that falls on the rocky soil because of trouble? Or are you going to be that seed that falls on the good soil? 
or the good soil that the seed falls on that really is saved. It says, I don't have to have all the answers. Things aren't going the way I thought they would. I'm not super excited about why God hasn't answered this prayer, and I've been praying for years for this situation to be reconciled. But for some reason, he said no. And I'm okay with it. We don't have to have the answers. And let me say one more thing. Beware of thinking that the Word of God needs our help. Sometimes part of why we want to come up with an answer is we don't want the Word of God to look bad. Right? Let's be honest. In the back of your minds, not naming names, but I can see it on your face. We don't want the Word of God to look bad, so we can come up with an answer so the Word of God doesn't look bad. You know what people are saying nowadays in our churches? We need to make the Word of God relevant. You ever heard that? You've just said that the word of God is irrelevant. Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come with man's wisdom. Oh, by the way, Paul had an education that probably none of us will ever have. He could have used big words and impressive speech, but he said, I only came and preached Christ and him crucified. I didn't use man's wisdom and lofty speech. I just, I wanted the power of God to do its work. Then he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and says, we didn't tamper with the word of God. We didn't try to make it more fun. We didn't try to market it. We just preached it for what it is. And sometimes they, well, go to 2 Peter. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent, be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in all of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Did you catch that? Peter said, I don't even fully understand some of the stuff Paul wrote. That's okay. It's okay. There's stuff that I hadn't understood in times past that I do now. There are things that I still don't understand. And I look, stand before you tonight and say, I'm okay with that. What I wrote down in my closing notes is simply this. This much we do know. Matthew listed 14 generations from Abraham to David, correct? Whether or not there were actually 14 generations or not, he listed 14 specific generations. I listed them for you. He listed 14 generations from David to Babylon, and he listed 14 from Babylon to Jesus. That much he did. I want you to take heart and have hope. No matter what goes on in the history of the world or the obedience or disobedience of man, God's plan and his promise cannot be stopped. You got Manassehs in there, and you got Tamars and Rahabs and Uzziahs and and David's doing the stuff he's doing, and then he uses Solomon's, and you've even got a Jeconiah who would think, now it's all messed up, because no more of David's sons can ever sit on the throne. Oh, yeah. God says, I got a plan for that. It has nothing to do with Jeconiah and Joseph. It has everything to do with me. And he's going to fulfill the prophecy and escape the curse of Jeconiah. So every time we think, oh, man, it's ruined now. God says, you don't know me. You don't know me. 
I love you. We'll see you in two weeks.